Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome back to episode 290 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali, and I am so excited that you're tuning into our show today. We are doing our final interviews for our sexual survey that we've done. So if you haven't completed a survey, make sure you're taking five minutes to answer a few questions to make sure that you're requesting about or requesting what topics you want us to talk more about. Last season, like we were just wrapped up the sexual skill series and it was one of the most successful one we had. And so far, I believe 90% of the requests I got is around male sexual functioning, erectile functioning, premature ejaculation. So we have a very interesting season coming your way. But if you want different topics, make sure this is your time. Make sure you're taking the survey because that would be my opportunity to get the feedback from you. We select very few people who completed the survey and want to talk to me about their challenges. So we can do a brief video call. You give me the feedback about the help that you need. And in return, I give you some coaching pointers. If you have a few minutes, even if you don't want to do a video call, it would be really, really helpful if you if you complete the survey. Today, we're going to talk about what's happening in a dating world. A few months ago, one of our colleagues, Dr. Aditi Paul, reached out to me and she talked about her research that she recently published, and it's about Gen Z's dating and sexual behaviors. She found lots of interesting things about whether they're liberal or conservative. She talked about their regrets and what's happening. And if you are curious about the dating trends, this is the episode for you. If you are curious about how things evolve since you were single, like myself, you you might get surprised. As I mentioned, our guest is Dr. Aditi Paul. Aditi Paul is a professor and mixed methods researcher based in New York City. She uses her multidisciplinary background in computer science and communication studies to examine the impact of using human-centered technologies like social networking sites and online dating services. Her new book, The Karen Collegiate Hookup Culture, Dating Apps, Hookup Scripts, and Sexual Outcome, is out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart. Recently, whatever journal article that I read, it seems like they're citing her. So if you want to hear from the author about all of these interesting findings, this is your opportunity. Before going into the interview, I wanted to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth is a premium bamboo bedding. I love their sheets. I'm going to talk more about my experience of sleeping in their sheets in last, I believe now it's seven months. They were our sponsors back in during winter. And I fell so much in love with their sheets that I keep buying their sheets, although that they haven't been on sponsors in last few months. What I like about their product, it's certified free of harsh chemicals, it's temperature regulated, and it's weeks moisture. If you want to purchase their 
product and support this podcast, please use promo code SEXOLOGY to get 40% off. We'll put the link in the show notes. So again, if you want to try their sheets or other products and show us some love, make sure you're using the promo code SEXOLOGY. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. D.T. Paul. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to invite Dr. Aditi Paul to our show. Dr. Aditi, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Dr. Nazneen, for, for calling me. I mean, it's, it's, it's always funny to have an actual doctor call a PhD doctor, doctor, but I'm so glad that you did. <laughs> um, I, I love, I, I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. Thank you for having me. I am very excited about this conversation. I read your book. It was fantastic. And a few yeah. years ago, we had another colleague talk about book up sex in college, Dr. Lisa Wade. And your book was different and was very interesting. So I'm very, very excited to dive into talking about it. So tell I love Lisa's about- book, though, by the way. Like that was, I mean, I, I know we will we'll have a conversation about how I wrote the book. But like Lisa Wade's book was transformational for me because that's the first book that I just was wandering in the library that's the very weird thing about me. I, I love going to <laughs> the library and like, I want to pick up a book, but then I also see like books beside the book that I want to pick up. And that's how I got to know Dr. Wade's book. And I read that and that sparked so many conversations in my head. So I, I, I so love the fact that Dr. Wade and I shared the same space in your podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I love her book and I'm with you. I when I when For me, like going to libraries is like a field trip. Yeah, <laughs> I go in this it's journey so of exploration. <laughs> such a, I'm such a nerd. Anyway, thank you so much for like accompanying me in my nerdness. <laughs> me and you both. So I, again, I love what I loved about your book is that you talked about different components of dating, different scripts, the kind of like the gender experience. So, so, so it sounded very comprehensive. So tell me, how did you get interested in writing this book you know I'm, I'm trying to like find out a really compelling story like this moved me to write a book honestly I was bored during the pandemic just like everybody and fortunately I had picked up Dr. Wade's book like I talked about just before the library shutdown so a little bit of context before that my research has always explored the impact of dating apps on personal relationships so before I launched this book my research focused on everything about dating apps. That is, if you are on dating apps, are you more likely to have a successful relationship versus if you meet somebody through church, through your mosque, through your friends? So that was my research. And I analyzed other aspects of research as well on online dating. One of them was what type of students are more likely to go to online dating apps for sex versus for love. So I had that component in my head. And one of the things that happens when you are researching about online dating is you keep hearing this thing called Tinder is a hookup app. And I was very confused. I'm like, what is a hookup? Like I know, but I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of have an idea, but you don't. So that led me to Lisa Wade's book because I just wanted to know what a hookup was and her book's title was American Hookup, The New Culture of Sex on Campus. And 
I loved her book in that it showed exactly what I thought a hookup culture would be, where you have parties and you have frats and you have sororities and you have those drunken nights where you wake up in the morning and one shoe is missing and you have a walk of shame and you're so damaged and like you have you're in this drunken phase in college and then after you leave college that's when you get this reality check like yo my party days are over I need to settle down and that's when we 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 seek out partners. And that's where I noticed a huge divide. I saw that there was no mention of dating apps in her in her books. So I was like, okay, so how are dating apps changing this already dominant hookup culture that we have in college campuses? And not everybody has white privilege. Not everybody has frat privilege. Not everybody has sorority privilege. So if we are thinking of hookup culture in terms of non-Greek life, what does that hookup culture look like? So that's what I wanted to explore. That is, what does a non-white hookup culture look like? What does a non-Greek hookup culture look like? What does a dating app-initiated hookup culture look like? And that led me to launch this book, and I wanted to make it a comprehensive study. So I analyzed a lot of dimensions of hookup culture, and we can talk about all of them as is pertinent to this podcast. Well, I'm very excited to hear about all of it. <laughs> It's so cool that you've been like looking into different kind of app outcome and dating apps and the result of it. But now I, I'm curious, do they usually work? Because that's a question that I get a lot from my clients every every week is that does that really work for cultivating experiences for people? So are you, are you asking me are hookups good for college students? Is that what the question great, is? Great, great question. The question is that what I hear is that people are just so dissatisfied with dating apps, which is a kind of tangent to what we're talking about it. But as you were talking about the dating sites, I was kind of curious that if are there studies that show that people are able to kind of have satisfying experience. I know what was very interesting about your study was you were talking about the positive aspect of it, right? That like people are getting their needs met. So I guess that's that's what came to my mind. So one of the questions that I asked for students was, out of all the people that they have hooked up historically, where have they met most of their partners? And after they identified where they met most of their partners, I said, look, what are the perceived risks and benefits of meeting your partners exclusively or predominantly from this context? And the four contexts were met them at school. So school could mean, you know, through their friends of friends, they met at in a class, they were in a group project together, they were in a club together. So any anything that's school oriented, it could also mean that another school, so long as they are like in that in that college network. The second context was parties, like college parties, going to a club, etc. Third was dating apps and fourth was at work. So 25% students said that, uh, close to 25% students said that they met their partners through dating apps. And the perceived benefits of dating apps was convenience and clarity. So convenience where you don't have to leave your dorm room to find somebody, they're there. Convenience in terms of it's easier to strike up a conversation. Like it or not, the dating anxiety among Gen Z is really high because they're uncomfortable putting themselves in like dating scenarios, right? I mean, like showing up for dinner and like, I don't know what to do. And and that tendency is high. So the screen gives them a, a buffer of sorts where you can take your time to like suss this person out, have a conversation and clarity. Because a lot of times what happens in hookups is you don't know if the person is in it or not. So that becomes very helpful for Gen Z where 
where if you are in a hookup, you have so many sexual primers, right? Like you're not going from a zero to a hundred. You can express your sexuality through the pictures that you post on your dating apps, through the kind of conversations that you have, through the prompts that you put. So you can get the vibe of what this person is like. Are they looking for sex are they looking for something sexual or are they in christianmingle.com looking for matrimony like so that that intention behind hookups becomes very clear so those are some of the perceived benefits that students have ascribed to dating apps so in that way it could be advantageous for them excellent so so tell us about for this study how did you guys define the hookup sex Oh my gosh, like, ugh, I learned a thing or two to me, let me be honest with you. This is so surprising. I was on another podcast with a friend. She's a sex professor at Cal State Fullerton. And her mind was blown when I told her this, where I told her, listen, you know what? Hookup does not mean sex, sex. It actually predominantly means making out for Gen Z. And she was like, what? If I make out with my legs with somebody, I don't say I hooked up. I hooked, when I say I hooked up, I mean sex hookup, right? So like, that's the understanding. But, for Gen Z, 40, I think 59% students said in during their last hookup, they just made out. And so that's the first thing about a hookup. That is, it does not always have to entail sex, penetrative sex. It can be something sexual. It can be anything between kissing to anal sex. And another traditionally or conventional way of thinking about hookups is that it's, it's like a one and done affair with a random stranger. Conversely, Gen Z rarely hooks up with somebody who's a complete stranger. 75% of them said that they had mutual friends with their hookup partners. 80% of them added their hookup partners on social media. The frequency of communication between their hookup partners and them were pretty high. Not only that, they hook up with the same person every three weeks to a month. So they're hooking up with the same person doing something sexual or having sex, but keeping it casual. So that's what it is. So the intention behind that sexual encounter is casual it's not just a bunch of random one night stands that they're having well this is amazing for a number of different reasons so i guess a few things changed since i was in the college (laughs) college years well one of them is i love the kind of this more broader definition of hookup because i think the more that we're kind of like thinking about the sexual interactions the more kind of menu of option i think can be very rewarding could kind of lead to different experiences and also it can give people this opportunity to communicate because mm-hmm. as i know you talked about in the book about the kind of experience of women experiencing a heterosexual relationship climaxing and i, I we hear it all the time if it's a one and done many women are not experiencing orgasm but yeah. if it's ongoing the person is in the rotation mm-hmm. then now you have this conversation hopefully with them and now you have a better experiences yeah that's true well uh, tell us like i know in the put the part in the book that i love that you talked about the how dating evolves so i'm old but i'm not 100 years old yeah. <laughs> so tell me tell me what that's your anti-aging was working on really well i'm like no, we're, we're all 100 years old listen the way gen z makes us feel every day i feel like i'm 100 years old you know like i don't know what language they're talking about what shows they're watching it's just an alien land that's honestly like that is the honest truth why i did this book because i just wanted to be relevant <laughs> well that's that works you know it's funny like the other day i was in a session with my gen z client and i said like you know the so-and-so then posted on twitter you know what twitter is <laughs> it's like how old do you think i am wow the audacity i'm like what do you mean i know what twitter is i know i know i'm on tiktok excuse me 
<laughs> so tell us how things evolved in last hundred years in dating, like kind of on a broader way in the hookup scene. Yeah, this is also a conversation that that came to my mind where. If you just look at any article right now, you'll see how hookups are always positioned as this like evil menace in society where hookups are the death of dating and like, you know, it's just leading to this moral decay. And and that brought up a question in my mind. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, why is dating being heralded as this golden standard of every relationship? Has that always been the case? So I took it way back. So this is what, 2022? I did this research in 2020. So I was reading articles from 1937. Formally, the hookup culture research in the social sciences started in 2000. And before that, all the research that was there is like dating oriented. And the first study that was conducted on dating was conducted by this person called Willard Waller back in 1937. And he wrote this article called The Rating and Dating Complex. And when I read that, it blew my mind, Nazni. And I'm like, what is this person talking about? But more so, if I replace the word dating with hookup, the way he talks about hookup is the same way. We talk about dating. So I have an excerpt over here. This is what Willard Waller says about dating, mind you, back in 1937. And see if you can find any similarities. He says, according to the old morality, a kiss means something. A declaration of love means something. A number of Sunday evening dates in succession means something. And these meanings are enforced by the customary law. While under the new morality, such things may mean nothing at all. That is, they may imply no commitment of the total personality whatsoever. So he's like, why are people even dating why are you not just getting married so just dating back in the day was demonized and the reason why it was demonized is the fact that it had a certain sense of freedom attached to it that is just because you're dating this person just because you're going out with this person just because this person has asked you out you are not beholden to this person and as the sense of freedom has expanded over the generations and now we're talking about freedom from sexual double standards we're talking about medical freedom. We're talking about sexual freedom. We're talking about sexual orientation freedom. The idea of freedom has generated what we now know as a hookup. So it's just dating. For example, dating was commitment with freedom. So hookup is dating with freedom. So that freedom, that sense of freedom is very unsettling for people. But I truly, truly believe that of course, like, you know, isn't dating stressful? Absolutely it is. But we have learned how to integrate it as a part of a relationship, right? So when a, 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 a one person and the other person are together in a relationship and they're dating without this person putting a ring on this other person's finger, they're not having a mental breakdown. Like they know there is a mutual understanding. In the same way with time as we navigate this new concept of hookups that's still emerging and still changing, we will understand how to wrap it in to our conversation rather than shoving it aside as an inconvenience. Love that. And that is so interesting. That is part of a conversation for so long. And I love this kind of analysis that's rooted from this fear of people of not then eventually committing or leaving the life. It's not congruent with some certain people's vision of life. So I think this is very interesting. And we, in a certain degree, we have this same kind of view on and a hookup culture now. So tell us about how can we be successful in this? I'm thinking about, okay, I want to be able to have great hookup sexual experiences. 
and I want to set myself for success. We know that I know Lisa talked about sexual assault. You talked about it. Again, it's not only people who have hookup sexual experience and experiencing sexual assault and non-consensual experiences. But what are some of the guidelines that you have for us to set up ourselves for success in that area? So if, if I'm understanding, like you're quantifying success as how can I have better sex during a hookup? Is that right? Great question. So I, my needs getting met, right? For some people, their need is kind of having an orgasm or multiple orgasms. For some people, it's just having a connection. So I was wondering if there is any common theme among people who ex- reported having a successful hookup experiences. Yeah. So I asked students to report about their sexual satisfaction and sexual regret at the end of their last hookup. I should also preface it by saying that I learned this the hard way because for me, and, and you can chalk it up to like these things that we are born with and we learn but we never question but then later on we unlearn them is this the importance that we ascribe to the orgasm in female sexual satisfaction that even taking orgasm as a marker for female sexual satisfaction is very masculine centered right so like understanding that female sexual satisfaction can encompass a lot of things so when i measured sexual satisfaction for both men and women i accounted for orgasms but i also accounted for i liked how my body felt i liked that i got close to this person so in terms of those results what i saw was for females the things that guarantee sexual satisfaction for them are six factors. Number one is a higher degree of sexual and romantic attraction toward their partners, a greater familiarity with hookup partners. Experiencing orgasm does increase our chances of sexual satisfaction, not using drugs or being inebriated in any extent during hookups, having protected penetrative sex, and having sexually permissive attitudes. So these are the factors that re- that bolster female students' chances of having a satisfying relationship. Now, what was surprising for me in terms of sexual regret, which I started questioning, listen, like there's some, I mean, I think, I think my statistical analysis, I need to redo this. And I redid it. And the results were still the same. Because one of the factors that led to female students' sexual regret is when they just stuck to making out and not escalating it. And I'm like, are women just like horn dogs right now? Like, what is happening? Because, you know, earlier research has predominantly showed how women are at a higher disadvantage during hookups. Like, we are so miserable. Like, we feel like we have been used. Gen Z is is here to say, like, screw that. Like, their sexual regret comes from not doing something versus doing it. And that that's when I thought about regret as a concept, right? So one of the very like one-liner things that we like to say is at the end of life, you regret the things that you didn't do versus the, the other way around. That is... I was like trying to make make a point and I totally butchered it up. No, it makes sense. So like it's a missed opportunity, right? It's a missed opportunity, right? So we regret the things that we don't do versus regretting the things that we actually did, that we took a chance. Think about it. You don't don't need a PhD to butcher things up. I'm going to do it for you. So... Uh, that think, was perfect. Yeah, <laughs> that that is something which I which I interpreted the results like that, that women do want to escalate the, the sexual hookups that they're experiencing or they're engaging in so long as it is consensual. Because another factor that led to their sexual regret is when they hooked up when they didn't want to. 
So that just goes to show that it's more than like, oh, I just wanted to make out with this person and this person. I, I just ended up having sex with this person. Not that, but I didn't want to do this. And I did it anyhow, because somehow I didn't get to use my voice during that heated moment. So many interesting points. I guess like to the first factor, is it an attraction? Meaning that like I, I find you attractive and now I'm with you. Was that how they define the first factor? Do they find you sexy? Do they find you desirable? So I, I asked them on a scale of one to five, how, how sexually attracted were you toward your hookup partner? How physically attracted were you toward your hookup partner? I mean, we are carnal human beings at the end of the day. And that matters to not just women, but men as well. That 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 attraction really matters. Not just like, I am in my heat, like a hen and I need to fuck. Like, no, that's not that's not the case. I think what you said about orgasm, I love it, right? That we want to make sure that this is a space for play, like doing sexual experiences mm-hmm. for pleasure, being in tune with your body. What historically had bothered me about uh, some hookup experiences is that some men, especially when they're younger, and I'm generalizing, and my apologies to listeners, but they don't reciprocate. For example, if they're a college girl, a college age girl, or a high school girl, they give an oral sex to their boyfriend. They don't reciprocate. I feel like the people are more willing to reciprocate maybe if they are in a more of an ongoing rotation. So it's just my experience hearing clients' stories but I might be wrong on that. No, you're absolutely right. Because one of the factors that is a significant predictor of female sexual female sexual orgasm is oral sex. Did you receive oral sex or not? And in that way, you know, it breaks my heart to say because I identify as a straight woman. Straight women are really getting the short end of the stick. Lesbian and bisexual women are triumphing. Like they are winning in hookup culture. There are 80% of lesbian women said that their oral sex was reciprocated compared to 19% straight women. Isn't that an abysmal number? Mm -hmm. Now compare that to straight men. They said 44% reciprocated, had their oral sex reciprocated. Only 19% straight women are saying that their oral sex is reciprocated. Like that's, that's not right. And one of the, again, very problematic viewpoints, and this is something that I was, as I was reading the literature to get familiar with, why is it that women are at a disadvantage it's because, to be honest with you, hookups may just, you you may just be signing up for mediocre sex. That's what it is. Instead of like your your image being damaged or like, and we are at a very privileged society like the United States where the sexual double standard is lower compared to a lot of other societies. So it's not that hookup sex is bad for you. It's just hookup sex is just like not cutting it for us. You know, like why would you settle for like drugstore sushi when you can have like a Las Vegas spread? That's what it is. So just know that you may be signing up for mediocre sex, especially if you're a straight woman. Now, the point was I was trying to get to is when you ask men, why do, why they, why do they not go down on, on women during a hookup? The idea is I am going to go down on her if I'm in a serious relationship with her. Mm. But the dominant mentality for women, and this could be just the social understanding that we have. This could be pornography, where if you watch a 20-minute pornography clip, 
the middle 17 minutes is just this girl blowing the fuck out of this guy's brain like and and we think that that is the next step to go so in that way i would say porn is not damaging damaging but like it's setting up a wrong expectation that for women it's expected for you to do that but when a man goes down it's like whoa it's like it's like that other like $5 kickback that you get i'm like i was not expecting that but thank you so to have that sense of entitlement from your female partner but for us to not have that reciprocated and for us to not even question that is is pretty problematic i think i if i was going back to my younger age that would be number two question like do you want to hook up yes or no are you okay with oral sex are you going to reciprocate other stuff that we're right. doing because i right. feel like no other context that's yeah. okay if you're not are reciprocating if you're going to a potluck if yeah. you're not bringing your food then that that seems like unfair so why also, sexual experiences are okay like i was also going to say like we get so much training like how to go down well versus i don't know if we have like enough material out there to teach men how to how to do it right and you know add to that the fact that as women is i mean you're talking about heterosexual relations like as women we are so good at giving positive reinforcement <laughs> that there are thousands if not millions of men going out there like with an inflated sense of confidence that they really did a good job and you were at like a solid 2.5 out of scale of 10 like sorry to break it to you but <laughs> what do what do you think about that like yeah they don't go down but also like their their education as in in that aspect absolutely i i think that's at heart of it right like being a good lover it's not about like you're doing a step 1 2 3 4 like you're just yeah. being a generous lover and being in the moment that's what matters but mm-hmm. our younger kind of like generation like the younger people are a little bit misinformed about that because we mm-hmm. we learn what sexy look like We mm-hmm. don't know how it feels like. How about it's kind of what's happening, the exchanges in the moment. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's important for, especially in a heterosexual relationship, for women to advocate and be firm about what this is. What I'm, wa- I'm wanting. If right. this is not happening, you're not in the rotation for next time. That's exactly right. Yeah, and and you know this is something that I have thought about as well. Like, to be honest with you, I there there have been sexual encounters where I haven't spoken up, and I question that. Like, you know, why why is that? Because I identify as a feminist. I'm, you know, I I I will speak my mind uh, in a in a nice way. I'm not going to hurt your feelings, but I I am assertive. But like, what compromised our sense of assertiveness in the bedroom, and it, and it's right. like female sexuality is such a confusing space to be because when we are assertive outside of the bedroom we are asked to not do it to like you know blunt out our edges and somehow it's it's really unfair to even expect women to like flick a switch and for men to change their default factory setting mentality that women need to be dormant but now she's a tigress in bed and i need to conform to what she's saying that power imbalance needs to be fixed in a non-sexual way so that i can sex can get better absolutely so this was the findings for women for men it was different for men it was different yeah for men they just need to be sexually att- <laughs> attracted to their partners like that Surprise. they're they're like uh, they the only thing that they when they regretted the 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 hookup was <laughs> when they were not attracted to their partners that's it like <laughs> 
ஆனா <laughs> <laughs> on men's pleasure versus women's pleasure so do you think like having marijuana is an enhancer of male sexual pleasure it's interesting i we had a physician who was saying that in his study in our show that he found that it's an enhancer for both what what i'm hearing from my clients is for women i hear that right those it helps with desire mm. but with men that's not i haven't heard negative thing or positive thing about it but with for women certainly i've seen i heard positive what about you so that's something that confused me as well because i found the opposite that not using drugs during hookups was was better for sexual satisfaction and i'm also wondering if things would change if it is in a romantic relationship but there is a level of trust that's there where you can you know come more uninhibited with your partner so that you can enjoy some of those like you know the drugs that you take for sexual performance enhancement so that's that's something that i was very curious about that like the differential effect of drugs on men's behaviors versus women's behaviors i can also see that you're right that if we are hooking up with complete stranger mm -hmm. i think if you are under influence that can mm -hmm. add a little bit of anxiety because like there's an added anxiety like when you're hooking up with a stranger for the first time but i can right. imagine then that kind of having an added layer of being under influence can add anxiety but you're right, right. if it's whether it's an ongoing hookup that you have or an ongoing yeah. partner then you can maybe lean into the experience yeah yeah i would imagine so thank you i'm learning from you i want to i'm like i have all these questions let me just the, the reason i'm here on this podcast i have these questions which i want to get answered from you i'm like dr molly what do oh, you think that is so sweet of you you know one thing that one other thing that i saw in the book was interesting that you had some data on sugar mamas and sugar daddies yeah. i want to know how did you gather that and what was the finding So my just my morbid fascination with what happens in my students lives led me to sugar the this area of sugar dating. I mean it's no surprise that college has become so expensive and I teach at a university in New York where you know you're paying upwards of $2000 for a matchbox apartment which you share with like five roaches and three roommates so it's expensive and students have to look for internships students have to go to class and then on top of that you have to like look for jobs so there are these these new strategies of making money leveraging what you already have at your disposal is increasing and my students told me how they have a sugar daddy or a sugar mama and they send like their their picture of their feet and get like $500 like why would you work as a barista and i'm like what what and then i started like my research on that and and turns out that yeah sugar dating is a dominant force and it's just increasing so much so that there is this website called seekingarrangement.com that lists the top 10 sugar baby universities number one is arizona state blue mm. my damn mind blue my mind <laughs> and i'm like i need to know what is up so i 
accounted for sugar dating in my book in terms of new ways of experiencing casual sex because when you're thinking about casual sex we always think okay with a friend or like dating app but like within the broad broad interpersonal relationship organic relationship umbrella but that's not the only way that students are experiencing casual sex they are also getting into something called sugar dating that is compensated dating where as the name suggests you have a sugar mama or a sugar daddy and you have a sugar baby traditionally we think that sugar babies were blonde eyed a uh, blonde hair like blue eyed petite women that has changed like now gay men are sugar babies as well and it's not that and and sugar sugar dating is different than prostitution in that and this is also something that the websites use to save their ass i guess where they say we are just a platform that makes two consensual individuals meet with each other what you do outside of the app is your business so they kind of recuse themselves now what they do out of that app is establish an arrangement by which sugar babies give a service and sugar daddies pay now the payment can be in money that the payment can be in gift cards payment can be in luxury items and the service that sugar babies provide can range from sending them a text sending them feet pictures sexting them having sex with their part uh, their sugar babies or sugar daddies or sugar mamas or even just going out to like parties with them as an escort of sorts that is fascinating did you find data on what leads to satisfaction is it like because i can imagine there the element of it for money right and as you mentioned that life yeah. is expensive mm-hmm. and you have some agency or what kind of a kind of a range of different things you can do but i wonder that some people is part of the erotic template like being taken care of mm-hmm. do we have kind of like data on what makes that satisfying for sugar babies so i the, the sugar thankfully and this is like mother my panicked millennials i talking i just found like 14% students and it's still i i don't want to say it as just 14% 14% is still a significant amount but i couldn't uh, I, i couldn't run statistical analysis to like one a small set of like students to identify like what their sexual satisfaction was also i didn't account for their sexual experience with their sugar daddies or sugar mamas so i cannot comment on that what i can comment on is the reason why they do sugar dating now all these websites would have us belief that this is they almost position their 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 services as like financial relief program for college students where <laughs> like fast <laughs> Yeah, but honestly, that's that's what they say. Like, if you go to their website, they'll have this like running student debt calculator, or like which is going up in the trillions of dollars, and then like take take charge of your financial future. Like, you know, like make a sugar daddy pay for this, I guess. But honestly, that's not the reason why that they are sugar dating, because. there is there are things like fapsa and scholarships and their parents and the bank to pay for their education what they do use their money for is discretionary income to elevate their lifestyle to enjoy the finer things in life and i have seen my students do that like my one of my students she carried a dolce and gabbana and gucci every day and i am here with my 
Zara on a good day and then H&M on a bad day. And I'm like, what what are these life choices that I'm making? Should I be a sugar baby at this point? I don't know. <laughs> that is funny. And I and I love that like this kind of variety of situation context that you included in your book. I think it's, it's very you. very fascinating to learn more about different aspects of hookup culture. My experience was that your book had more of a positive looking at positive more balanced kind of way mm-hmm. of looking at hookup culture what I remember from Lisa's book which I loved Lisa's book it was mm-hmm. mostly focused on the challenges is mm-hmm. it because the how the society evolved in like last 10 years or just more of how you guys looked at this problem the my focus was just to see it as it is as you said that is I more than more than understanding what psychological impact it had on students. I wanted to decipher what hookups really look like. Because one of the things that is different between my book and Lisa's book is she, and I loved her book for this one because it's like, I think hookups are like this, where she said there are five steps of of doing a hookup. One is pregame, grind, initiate a hookup, do something and establish meaninglessness. And that is the stereotypical image that you have of a hookup. So when I spoke to students, I realized that not every hookup looks so glamorized, right? It's not so sensational. I'll read one to you. This one student said, I made sure I vibes with this person. We chatted on the app and I like to see if this person I'm talking to is nice or not. So I chat with them and ask them about their day and how they are. Sometimes I talk about what I may have in common with that person. I compliment them on their looks or something and talk about my interests. And then I ask if they're free later to hook up if they want to. Where is grinding? Where is alcohol? Where is asking? And this is an app based. Another one. This is so simple. We spend the day on campus together, grabbing food and talking. Then we return to our dorm and talk. Then we return to our dorm and talked outside for a while. After that, we watched a movie in my room and took a nap. And then we hooked up. <laughs> oh, I love this person! Like priorities. Uh, Literally are taking clear. a nap. And that's something that I wanted to capture with my book. That is, a hookup is not as sensational as we think it is. It has become a part and parcel of students' lives, and we need to see it as it is. Yes, there are going to be bad elements to it, but it's not as egregious as we think where they are just damaged, they are zombies without any modicum of relationship commitment in them, and they just don't know what to do with their future. That is absolutely not the case, because hookups are not as sensational as we think themselves them to be and and we need to start our conversation from there love that so i bet many of our listeners are curious about where can they find your book about your content so tell us more about how can people access you I am accessible everywhere. <laughs> I will give you all my socials on Instagram. It's my name, I am Aditi Paul. On Twitter, I am also I am Aditi Paul. On my LinkedIn, I'm Aditi Paul PhD. And if you also want to friend me on Facebook, I am open, but understand you'll be hanging out with my parents and my cousins and my exes and my boss. Everybody's there on Facebook. You can join too. My handle is Aditi.paul and I'm also accessible on my website at draditipaul.com. I would also like to say that more than buying my book, 
if you can support my socials, that would be incredible because I don't want you to spend your $95. The book is priced at that point. There was nothing that I could do for the price. It's academic publishing. So if you truly want to uh, support me, I'm a first-time author, please engage with my socials and ask your library to purchase the book so you can read it without having to share one penny of your hard-earned money. Well, I feel so honored that I got a copy. Yes, <laughs> before, of course. But you know, the $100 bill. I know. Can you imagine? Like, just chalk it up to academic publishing. And I'm so glad that, you know, you're providing a platform for me to share because I want this research to be accessible to people because it's fun. It has lots of value. And I think it's important to bring light to different kind of experience that people already are having. So I I love that. I love your book. And thank you so much for joining us. And I invite our listeners to definitely check out the social media and get the book. And hopefully we can have you back in the future. I would love to. Thank you so much, Nazneen. Have a lovely day. You too. Hope you guys enjoyed our content. It was so cool to hear about the trends and dating worlds and how things evolved. And I was very excited to hear about that the fact that Gen Z's women, especially owning their sexuality and some of the regrets, it's not necessarily about the sex they had. It was more about the sex that they didn't have. Because I remember growing up, there was just lots of pressure and women for not being excited about sex and kind of taming that part of themselves. So I'm glad that that's been the evolution for many women to own their sexual power. At the end, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Cozy Earth. My husband and I, we're obsessed with their sheets. They are truly the softest sheets I've ever owned in my life. I struggle with sleep at times, and it's really important for for me to have a quality sheets because it helps me to sleep longer and feel more comfortable. And if you think about it, it can be one of the best investments that you make, getting a quality sheets because you're spending somewhere between five to eight hours in that sheet. I have been washing their sheets, and my husband and I both love it. It keeps our, although we have hot sex, but it keeps our bed temperature regulated and cool. If you wanted to try their product, make sure that you are using our promo code sexology to get 40% off. All right. I cannot wait next week to talk to you. If you wanted to watch the interview, make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.